Welcome, everyone, to My Friend in HR, your one-stop shop for all things related to career fulfillment and the elusive world of human resources. <laughs> I'm your host and friend, Jasani Courtney. In episode one, we discussed the importance of having a long-term perspective and how those choices impact our future and overall career fulfillment. In episode two, we dove in headfirst into the topic of applying for the next opportunity in your career journey. We talked about the do's and the don'ts on your resume, such as having an appropriate contact email, not being lazy when it comes to spelling and grammatical errors, and showing that resume of yours some respect. We talked about how to make your resume a little more AI-friendly, as well as the types of information that should go on your resume, such as listing key accomplishments of your last several positions and putting significant effort into an oh-so-important summary or objective statement at the beginning of your CV. We ended the episode discussing what you shouldn't do when it comes to actually applying for jobs and what you should do after you apply. Now it's time to discuss the next critical stage, which is the actual interview. So let me start by correcting an assumption. Many job seekers believe that the interview begins the moment you arrive at the facility. This couldn't be more wrong. The interview actually begins when the recruiter or HR person calls you to inform you that you have been selected for an interview. Just to be clear, this includes whether or not they are able to reach you when they call. So what does that mean? Well, let's say that the recruiter calls you to set up a time for you to have an interview with either themselves or the hiring manager. And let's assume that you are not available at that very moment. What the recruiter hears when they are sent to voicemail is actually the start of the interview. You're going to hear me say this time and time again. The goal of the recruiter is to obtain every shred of information about you so that the company can make the best decision regarding the best fit for the position. So after being sent to your voicemail, the recording says, this email box is full. I will tell you as an HR person, my yellow alarm would begin to go off. While this probably would not be enough to disqualify a candidate, especially in this market, this tells me that this individual is either behind on checking their voicemails or doesn't check them at all. My brain then goes to, so what would happen if they worked here? Can I trust that they would be more diligent about their work voicemail and emails than their own personal voicemail? Maybe, maybe not. So my first piece of advice for you today Please make sure that your voicemail is set up and ready to receive all of those awesome career opportunities that you're surely going to come your way because you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> this also includes the voicemail message the receiver receives. I got to tell you, I'm so glad that nowadays folks have started to move away from those songs playing before they actually go to the voicemail message. You remember those? Now, I'm not going to pretend for a second that when this thing first became a thing, I didn't have ice cubes. Today was a good day playing for 15 seconds before the person calling could even leave a voicemail. And I never want to give advice that gives my audience the sense that they can't be their authentic selves. However, there's authentic and then there's suboptimal in terms of ensuring that every aspect of this process is set up for you to win. Also, it's okay to go with a generic voicemail message that simply states your phone number because I know some people just don't like the way their voice sounds when it's recorded. That is totally fine. But let's make sure that your voicemail is actually set up, it's not full, and the message that they receive sounds like it's actually coming from an adult. This tip is especially important these days, as most of us really don't answer when an unknown number pops up on our phone screen. Most of us feel that if it's somebody we know and it's important, they will leave a voicemail. Next, let's assume that you weren't available at the time of the call. Your appropriate voicemail message greeted the caller, and they left a voicemail asking for a return call. Should you immediately call them back? Well, 
Not necessarily. Let me clarify. We are not going to treat this like the dating game where we make the person wait seven days before we call them back. You should definitely call them back the same day if at all possible. But when you are properly prepared to have this conversation, that is when you should call. So what does that mean? It means that you should first refresh your memory about the job you applied for at that specific company. And fortunately, since you listened to episode two, wink, wink, you only applied to one, maybe two jobs at that potential employer, right? So go out to the company's website, take a look at the job you applied for, refresh your memory on the job description, and also refresh your memory on the resume you submitted. If you took my advice in episode one, you probably made a couple of tweaks and enhancements. So you want to be ready in case you're asked about any of those details and you aren't fumbling around trying to recall what you put on that version of your resume. When you do call them back, try your best to be in a quiet space where you can have a professional conversation. Don't do it while you're checking out at the supermarket (laughs) or picking up your kids at school, for example. Those of us with kids understand that when your children are piling into the back of the car, coming in off the sugar rush off of their nutritious school lunch, this is probably not the most optimal time to have the discussion. Let's now assume that the recruiter called you and you were able to answer the phone. Hopefully you've not applied for so many jobs that when the recruiter or HR person informs you of the name of the company they represent, you can recall what it is you actually applied for. Remember, the interview starts here. Let me say that again. The interview starts here. As this is a professional call, you, of course, want to sound pleasant and somewhat personable. Now, I recognize that everyone has different levels of phone demeanor. Some of us are very extroverted and have absolutely no issue with having an engaging conversation with a total stranger. Others, not so much. If you fall into the second category, don't worry. It's totally fine. Just be yourself, polite and professional. Trust me, it'll all work out. As this conversation is mostly about scheduling a time for you to speak with someone about the opportunity, I really don't want to make this more than what it really is. However, I also don't want you to undervalue the importance of this very first interaction. Now, I know I shouldn't have to say this next part, but I will. Please make sure that you're actually available at the time you agree upon. I know this sounds obvious, but don't get so excited that you got a call back that you say yes when you have to be at your child's soccer game or dance recital. The recruiter is aware that we all have busy lives, especially in the case of a face-to-face interview. It's totally okay to tentatively confirm an initial time and then come back and confirm that time later in the day. Now, I say that, but be careful because sometimes, depending on your demeanor, this can be misconstrued as a lack of interest. But this is where tone and actually following up play a really huge part. What happens if your availability changes at the last minute? You, of course, need to let the recruiter know as soon as possible. Remember, it's not just about your availability, but also the availability of one or more managers that may be waiting to speak to you. Waiting until the last minute or 30 minutes before the first interview to inform your future potential employer that you can't make it can be seen as extremely bad form. Yes, things happen. But again, this is all about gaining information about each other and putting yourself in the best light. So let's put it like this. Let's say that this was a first date and your date called you at the last minute to say that they had a conflict. If they're contacting you 30 minutes prior, you are probably already on your way to the date location. At the very least, you're probably already dressed. So how would this last-minute cancellation make you feel? In many ways, the interview process is kind of like a first date. Typically, both parties put their best face forward to make a great first impression. 
A golden rule in recruiting is that typically the candidate will be their most impressive during their initial interview. If the candidate continuously reschedules or displays a lack of professionalism, we typically remind the hiring manager that this is likely the best version of this individual that you're going to get, just like a first date. So please keep that in mind. A couple of things to always bring to a face-to-face interview. First, a professional binder with a nice pen is something to write on. Even if you don't actually take notes, scribbling like you are paying attention to the interviewer sends a very good message. Extra copies of your resume. Oh, and by the way, if you listen to episode two, this will be an excellent time to bring in those impressive infographic resumes. You also want to bring a list of questions to ask the employer. Remember, this process is as much about you interviewing them as it is about them interviewing you. This needs to be a fit on both sides. Also, as you're finalizing the details of your interview with the recruiter, ask them for a list of the managers you'll be speaking to. Why, you may ask? Because we're going to do a little research on each person as well as the company. I'm not talking about stalker-level research, (laughs) but most professionals do have a LinkedIn profile with some post-noteworthy achievements, and nearly all of their profiles at least let you know about their tenure at the company. This will come in handy a little bit later. Now that you've arrived at the facility, and assuming that this is a face-to-face interview, let me let you in on an ancient HR secret. You remember how I said that the interview started when the recruiter called you to schedule an interview? Well, it really, really starts once you enter the property. A lot of employers have a lot of eyes on potential candidates. For example, were you going above the speed limit when coming onto the facility grounds? That security guard that saw you may be what we call an unofficial informant. How you treat the receptionist can play an immense part in your overall evaluation. In case you weren't aware, in many companies, a receptionist is a very trusted and tenured employee whose opinion sometimes goes a long way. What I'm saying is, don't be a jerk to the administrative support. One thing that I tend to look for in terms of behaviors is how a candidate treats an employee that tends to be lower on the org chart. Are they only respectful when folks are watching and have an impressive job title? Do they come off as elitist or rude? And let me be clear, I know a number of CEOs and C-suite executives that get their administrator or receptionist feedback on candidates before making a final decision. And trust me, most executives place a high value on their administrator's opinion, so you should too. So, here we are. You're now in this cold conference room, adjusting your clothes for the 14th time and making one last check to make sure nothing is protruding for those old nasal cavities. (laughs) It is now time to really get your head in the game. Many times you'll be asked if you would like coffee or bottled water. Yeah, I know this sounds weird, but stick with me here. While this is definitely not intended to be a trick, Always, always choose water. There's something about a white blouse or a white dress shirt that causes coffee to jump out of the cup and land on the most noticeable part of the garment. Now, if you're the type of person that tends to be nervous in interviews, remember the focus of this interview is you. And guess what? You are the world's subject matter expert on that topic. Finally, before the manager walks in, breathe. Take some controlled breaths and remember that this is an opportunity for the company to learn how awesome you are. Now the moment of truth has arrived. The manager or recruiter has walked in and they introduced themselves. 100% of the time, stand up, shake their hand, make eye contact, and do your best to give a genuine smile. There is something about a candidate who is able to give a decent handshake and smile during the greeting that can be pretty disarming to even the most savviest HR person. That behavior makes me want to actually want to like you. 
Some managers could care less about such pleasantries, but most do, and definitely most recruiters do. Typically at this point, the conversation will go one out of two ways. One, the manager will begin to talk about the position they're looking for and then immediately jump into a list of questions to qualify whether or not you can fill the role. If that's the case, great. Simply answer the questions to the best of your ability. Do your best to maintain casual eye contact, not the creepy person staring into the manager's soul type of eye contact, and just engage this as a casual discussion. Again, we're talking about you and who knows more about you than you. I know this is easier said than done. Many times there will be a lot riding on you getting this new position. But when you're asked questions, do your best to answer them completely. Sounds simple, right? What could possibly go wrong? Well, let's talk about what could go wrong. Have you ever been in a discussion where someone asks you a question, you start answering it, and they completely forget what it is you're being asked? You would be surprised how many times this happens in an interview. If you find yourself in that position, don't freak out. Simply pause and ask the interviewer to repeat the question. I know this could be really awkward, but one of the worst things you can do in this situation is to continue to ramble in hopes that in some part of your incoherent babbling that you're actually answering the question. So what happens if the interviewer asks you if you're skilled in a certain software or skill that you have absolutely no experience in? First, again, be honest. You could say something like, unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to dive in that area. However, that is something that I'm eager to learn in this next opportunity. As I've mentioned before, not knowing one or two things on the job description does not automatically disqualify you from being a potential candidate. If you are a 75% solution in terms of skill set and have a great work ethic and a great attitude, that can really go a long way to putting you at the top of the pile. However, the worst thing you can do is lie about your qualifications. What I have learned over the long term is that you could probably fake it initially, but at some point your inexperience will eventually show. Maybe not to your boss, but definitely to your other team members, and that can be the beginning of the end. Despite the number of different jobs and companies and different personalities of managers and recruiters, one question that always seems to come up is the dreaded, what is something you can improve upon? Now, when this question is posed to you, you can either go down the right path and be completely honest in an area that you know you need to develop on, or you can go down some path of unfortunate applicants and try to make a strength into a weakness. You know what I mean. You will have some candidates that say, oh, the one thing that I need to approve upon is that I work too hard. Or the famous, I tend to be dedicated to my work. Let me be clear. No one buys this. As a matter of fact, it really comes off somewhat pompous. So go ahead and have a response in this area in the back of your mind. Whether it's PowerPoint, Excel, public speaking, whatever. Now, it's probably going to be very difficult for you to obtain employment as a motivational speaker if you struggle with public speaking, but I think you get my drift. Remember when I told you earlier to learn a little bit about the company and the people that you'll be interviewing with? This is a massive pro tip. In many interviews, one of the first questions they will ask is, tell me what you know about ABC Company. Now, the worst thing you could do is say, I really don't know much about the company. You know what that tells me as an HR person? It tells me that you didn't care enough about this opportunity to learn more about who you might be working for. And since this question is typically asked at the very beginning of the interview, it's not a really good start. At the very least, learn these three things. First, what is the primary business function, a.k.a. what is it that the company does? Also, are there any recent accomplishments that they've advertised either in the news, online, or on LinkedIn? You should also memorize a couple of their competitors within their industry. This becomes very important in the higher-level positions. 
Having a basic understanding of the industry and the competitive landscape will put you above about 90% of the candidates that are interviewing for that job because, to be honest, most won't do that legwork. Also, if you're able to compile that with some basic knowledge about the person you are interviewing with, you've not only demonstrated that you'll be willing to do more than the average candidate, but it also shows the company that even in this interview, you're willing to go above and beyond and have a solid sense of initiative. Finally, as we get close to the end of the interview, you should always have a few questions prepared to ask in advance. So what kind of questions should you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Think about what is important to you in your next opportunity the type of manager you'll be working for, the environment. Now, this is not the time to necessarily start talking about compensation, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But here are a few questions you should always ask. First, tell me about the current work environment. Is it high-paced or is it more slow and methodical? What is the team environment like? How do you like to manage your staff? Could you elaborate on why this position is open? Chances are this will be covered earlier in the interview, but in case it isn't, this is a very critical question that everyone needs to ask during the interview process. This one question will give you great insight in terms of the type of environment you will be walking into. The best answer you could hear is the current incumbent just got promoted and we're backfilling the role. This is awesome because you at least know that there's some level of upward mobility within that organization. The next best answer is that this is a new position that has been created. Well, that's cool because this tells you that in some shape or form, the organization is growing versus being stagnant or even doing layoffs. Now, be careful if you get a response that seems to insinuate that there was some kind of conflict as you very well may be walking into that same conflict. One of these answers sounds like, well, we decided that the person in the current role wasn't a fit and decided to go in a different direction. Again, be cautious because if they were willing to go in a different direction one time, they could do it again. You should also ask questions that relate to what it is you want out of this position. Again, long-term thinking. Consider asking about upper mobility and what that looks like at that organization. Also, if training and development are really important to you at this stage of your career, you should always ask about how they have provided development opportunities for their staff. So listen, there are millions of questions that can be asked during the interview, and I really hope that I've given you the groundwork and roadmap to use that will assist in a number of scenarios. Now, we've come to the end of the interview. You've met with a number of people that ask questions from what kind of coffee do you drink all the way to your future dreams and aspirations. This is normally the point that someone will ask you about your salary expectations. Before we get into those details, let me let you in on something. If you're asked this question, congratulations. Take an internal sigh of relief and pat yourself on the back because this is a very good sign. There was something about this interaction that they liked, and now they want to determine if they can afford you and if your salary expectations are within budget. So how do you answer this question? Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest. This question tends to terrify even the savviest interviewee. This concern is because no one wants to price themselves out of a good job. So what do we do? Well, often folks like to lie and say, it's negotiable. Let me be clear. If you're asked this question, you need to give them a number or a range. Because let's be honest, is it really negotiable? Many times when we're on our current job hunt, we tell family and friends that we need to make X number of dollars in our next opportunity. But for some reason, when the employer actually asks this question, all of a sudden it becomes loosey-goosey and we flip-flop to the point where we're almost willing to say we're going to work for free. Well, maybe not that bad, but you get my drift. So how do you actually answer this? We answer this question by doing a bit of research on the front end. 
There are a number of online resources that help us determine the market rate for a position. However, let me caution you. Many of these sources have it highly inflated and do not take into account specific things like industry and location. So what does that mean? That means that an accountant at a large corporation in Houston, Texas, will likely pay more than an accountant in a small company in Paducah, Kentucky. So you have to be aware of it as well as your years of experience. Also, be careful of overestimating the market worth of this position. Now, before I start getting hate mail, this is what I mean. Let's say the position asks for a bachelor's degree in accounting and you have a PhD in economics. Typically, a company is not going to give you a higher salary just because you bring a PhD to the table because the position only requires a bachelor's degree. And those are the details that determine the market value for a position. So in essence, what I'm saying is come to the table with an idea of what you feel is fair compensation for the job you will do. You need to understand the market and your financial situation. Taking a salary that doesn't address those financial concerns will only frustrate you down the road. Yeah, you may be unemployed now and you need to just start getting a paycheck, but that will only suffice for the first six to eight months. Eventually, if you're not making enough to live off of, you eventually become frustrated and it will show in your job and work product. And honestly, that is not a place you want to be. I recognize that I just said don't overvalue what the position should pay. The opposite is also true. Don't undervalue yourself because you're so worried about losing the opportunity. Let me give you another model to live by. A company will never love you more than when you first walk through the door. That means get the most competitive salary that you can because you have to assume going forward that you'll be limited to two to maybe 5% of annual increases. And that's assuming that there's no kind of economic downturn where no merit will be given. So now the interview is over. What should you do now? One thing that has become a lost art is the art of sending thank you emails. And I, I know this sounds old fashioned. This sending a brief email thanking interviewers for their time and consideration and restating your excitement and interest in the position pays huge dividends, especially while baby boomers and Gen Xers tend to sit in these hiring manager positions. This also shows us an exceptional level of professional maturity. While a thank you email may not be the determining factor as to whether or not you will actually get an offer, I have seen more than one occasion where a polite professional thank you email has made the difference between two closely qualified candidates. That one email showed an extra level of enthusiasm, initiative, and professionalism. And again, it's about putting you in the best position for success. So what about afterwards? The answer is nothing. At this point, you have put your best foot forward. You've done your research and gave a stellar performance during the interview. You thanked them for their time and restated your interest. That is the extent of your influence in this situation. One question I get asked quite often is how often should you follow up? And honestly, I would say maybe once. And that is only to confirm whether or not a decision has been made about the position. I have never known of a candidate to be extended an offer because they were the one who followed up the most. Trust me, if they want to contact you about an offer, they will. They haven't lost your number. It's totally acceptable to follow up after a few weeks to determine if a decision has been made or if they've moved on to another candidate, because unfortunately, many companies may not always inform candidates if they were not selected. The only reason I would advise candidates to do that one follow up is so that they can eventually move their energy to another effort if this one doesn't work out. All right. Whew. We're going to end it right there. This was a lot of information, friends. So hopefully you were able to gleam a few golden nuggets about the interview process and how to be better prepared for your next interview. In the third and final part of the series, we're going to discuss the science behind negotiation. 
what could be negotiated and what typically can't, and how much should you negotiate? So be sure to join me for that discussion in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, if you have any questions you would like to ask me, feel free to email me at myfriendinhr at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at myfriendin underscore HR. Or you can follow me on LinkedIn under Jasani Courtney. So until next time, friends, be well. Not just to others, but to yourself. And remember that your job is meant to support your life. Your life is not meant to support your job. Until next time, friends. Thank you.